Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, ironradio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutrition professor, and a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild. I'm also a competitive powerlifter, Highland Games athlete. Jeez, uh, I did Strongman, a bunch of other stuff. So also run Lift for Hope. And I'm trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records for the most surgeries. So Yes, you are. <laughs> Nice. This is John Mike. I'm assistant professor in exercise science. I'm a strongman competitor. Um, I love to eat. I like to take up a lot of space. And um, <laughs> it's pretty much, I mean, that's about it for right now, I guess. Hi, I'm J- John Downing, and I am a high school social studies teacher and also a competitive powerlifter. Right on. We're going to get into John and his background and what he's working on here in just a few. Ronnie, yeah. what you got for us? Strength and Muscle Sport News. Yeah, I only have one little piece of news. Last week we covered a boatload, but this is about nutrient timing and not so much around the workout, but around the clock, right? Circadian rhythms and stuff. And we're always hearing about this sort of thing, but this is spanking new stuff from mid-March. From Science Daily is where I actually got this one. Uh, and the Wiseman Institute of Science. Here's the thing. It says, our cells, power plants, run on timers, scientists have discovered. This may help explain why people who sleep and eat out of phase with their circadian clock are at higher risk of developing obesity, as well as uh, diabetes and metabolic syndrome. So as I look through this, let me just um, set the stage. Uh, When one eats may be as important as what one eats. New research at the Wiseman Institute of Science in Germany, uh, which recently appeared in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, suggests that our cells' power plants, the mitochondria, are highly regulated by the body's biological or circadian clocks. Let's see here. Uh, Dr. Gad Asher of the Institute who led the study, explains that circadian clocks, which are found in living things from bacteria to flies to people, control our rhythms of sleep, activity, eating, and metabolism. And listeners, if you're not familiar, a lot of the hormones as they ebb and flow throughout the day uh, are sort of controlled in similar ways. But they looked at you know the little energy powerhouses of our cells. It says the group identified and quantified hundreds of mitochondrial proteins finding that the quantities of a whopping 40% of these proteins peak once a day. So, in fact, they were looking at proteins that have to do with carbohydrate uh, burning, frankly. So let me cut to the end because this gets pretty chewy with all these different uh, proteins in your you know, little um, cellular furnaces. These findings support previous findings in our lab in which we showed that if mice eat only at night when they are active, remember, mice are on a reversed cycle. So if they eat only when they're active, for for us, presumably, that would be during the day, rather than throughout the day and night, they can eat the same amount of calories, but their liver fat levels will be 50% lower, according to Asher. 
In other words, the outcome depends not only on what you eat, but also when you eat it. It says if we could consume, uh, if we could be more aware of the timing of our cellular activities, we might be able to take advantage of various nutrients at different times of the day in a healthier way. So pretty interesting, I think. It's it more evidence that it's not just what you eat, it's sort of when, you know, and it has a lot to do with muscular activity and that sort of thing, but also, yeah, the literally the ups and downs of the different machinery in our little cellular furnaces. So I don't know. You've, you've probably heard about studies before where they'd, I think it was a nurse's health study. They gave them um, their food at night, essentially, and they were eating out of sync with their biological clock, and they were getting fat even though they weren't eating huge n- numbers of calories. And I think it's along that kind of thing. But it's interesting that they're getting down at a mechanistic level. You know, they're looking at specific uh, biochemistry of it all. Yeah. So, yeah, but that's all I've got. All right, I'll tell everybody about surgery and everything. First, sorry, I was, missed last weekend. I had a, a bunch of lifters. We had to go to a, an Olympic weightlifting competition and get some people qualified for nationals. So we had a good weekend. Nobody took under a bronze. So we went oh, out wow. there and kicked butt. Um, yeah, it was a good time. Um, and then the next two days later, I went in for the surgery that's been coming for about a month and went well. Um, uh, it's my first time puking on anesthesia, so that was neat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I'm in recovery now, so it's been, this is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. This is day five of recovery. Um, pain levels, it's easy, but I mean, this is just going to be probably the worst recovery I've been through. I'm stuck in a brace that keeps my hip at 30 degrees flexion. So literally, I mean, I can't sit on a toilet. I can't drive. Oh, my God. I can't Jeez. sit up. Yeah, I can't sit up. Uh, yeah, that's the, the crappy part about it. And that's four to six weeks in this thing. So with my leg just kind of stuck in that position. No weight bearing on it, things like that. So, if you're cool with it, can you tweet or uh, Facebook a picture or something? Because I'm trying to imagine what you're <laughs> – Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not yeah, imagining you like not going to the bathroom. I'm just talking about like, – you know, no, right. right. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, fine. I'll try and get to, that. I'm trying to visualize like what this thing looks like. Right. Yeah, I don't want anything like gory details. How does Phil take a dump? I don't want to see yeah, that. Right. Oh, that was that. Oh, I had to do that yesterday for the first time, but uh oh, it was bad. Oh, not good. <laughs> Basically, it's a metal brace. They fit me and then they the doctor had a specific degree of flexion he wanted. So they set that up and then locked it in there. And it's basically a metal brace that's at a 30 degree angle. It's strapped around my waist. And then it straps around my femur um, and keeps the hip locked in there. My lower leg, I can move um, because I blew the hamstring at the uh, proximal, not the distal end. Right, yeah. So um, that's the end they're worried about. But, uh, yeah, so it's just pretty much stuck there. It's it, I don't know. It's like a really big, you see those metal knee braces with metal on each side? Yeah, yeah. It's like a really big one of those. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, if I wanted to, I could take it off, but I've been, been instructed not to. So. Right. I've, so far, I've followed instructions fairly tightly. So far, knowing you, you'll be out of this thing in like three more days and halfway recovered. So Yeah. So um, we'll see. I mean, the pain level is none. I mean, I itch a lot from wearing this thing and things like my dressing and things like that. But we'll see. I don't know. He's still saying 12 weeks to full recovery. So, wow. Yeah, that's not that bad. No. It's, it's just this. Doable. He said it's this initial stage that really sucks because he's the doctor himself had been through it. And uh, Oh, well, that helps, actually. So, yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how it goes. My left leg is really mad at me because it's pretty much – it's the leg that hasn't taken any weight my whole life, and now it's taking all my weight. And, 
and my forearms and freaking triceps are getting jacked from walking on crutches. So right, <laughs> positive side effects. Yeah, but John, let's get into your story. Um, number one, we always like asking people just how you got into you know lifting as a recreational sport to begin with. Awesome. Well, it was actually a varsity sport at my high school, so that was very convenient. Um, so I played football. And then in the period of time kind of between what would be football and track season, we have powerlifting season that runs kind of the length of wrestling season or basketball. Um, So that's kind of how I got into it as a way to get stronger for football. Mm -hmm. That that was probably bench, clean, and squat, right? No, we did did all three. Oh, you did deadlift. Okay, wow. Yes, it was bench, squat, and deadlift. Um, Powerlifting at the high school level, in Ohio is fairly big. They have a huge state meet every year called Kenton State Meet. It's not the best. Um, let's see, they let you they let you squat in a squat suit, but you can't bench in a bench shirt at this meet. So it's really funky, but um, it's what the state of Ohio sees as a state meet for powerlifting. Gotcha. And then from there, you've went on to uh, now you're coaching the club at Ohio state right is it yeah yeah so i uh i continued my powerlifting career uh after high school into college um and at the time we didn't have any club sports at ohio state for powerlifting and by the time i was about a senior i helped restart the team that they had had there years ago and then after i graduated i started coaching it um and i'm still doing that today and we're preparing for uh collegiate nationals in april at the college level, do they compete? So you guys compete against each other then, or what? What organization is it under? Is it under AAU? Is it under? Um, it's it's a, it's USAPL. Okay. Um, but a lot of times there's not a lot of college meets that are like college only that are near Ohio. So for us, collegiate nationals is going to be the first time that we're actually competing just against other colleges and universities. Cool. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, we need more of that going on. You're starting to see more of it in weightlifting with a few schools taking up weightlifting teams. Right. Actually offering scholarships for it, but. Yeah, like uh, here in our school at, um, at Lindenwood, like we have probably one of the best Olympic lifting teams like in the country. I'd say top five. Maybe oh, top do you? Hmm. Yeah, and um, I mean, we have like 80 plus people on our Olympic lifting team. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, your guys is one of the only schools that I know of that you can get a scholarship to weightlift. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's fine. Like, I mean, you're right, Phil. I mean, I don't know a lot of other schools around the country that actually do that. I think there's, I think there's a one and one or two like in Louisiana someplace. Uh, there's um, a couple in Minnesota too. But Minnesota, okay. Not many. So, John, John, our guest, man. What about you personally? Are you're competitive personally? Yes, I still do. Um, the last meet I did was the Arnold. Uh, I had a terrible experience and i bombed out for the first time so that was not fun but uh i still you know i love competing i love competing at the arnold especially uh in the shirts that phil makes of course but uh yeah it's i don't know it's fun to constantly be you know trying to achieve new goals for yourself um and then this is kind of bridging in the topic of the day but then um so we'll probably take a break here in a minute you know you got started. Did you get started in, in like charity stuff early on with powerlifting, or is that is that a recent thing? It's for me. It's really a recent thing. Um, I've always been trying to give back to the sport in different ways, whether it's through actually growing the sport or helping people with their meets. 
Um, but the charity aspect of it just kind of started this past October after I returned uh, from a trip I went on in Zimbabwe. Cool. Yeah. Well, this wow. is probably a, a good segue. We'll take our little break here, right, Lonnie? And then uh, sure. back and let's hit that because it's probably the, the most in-depth part of today we're going to get into. So. Cool. Awesome. We'll be back in a minute, guys. Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, There is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that, and uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Weekly Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hi, everybody. We are back. And what we're going to talk about today, well, we're going to go into specifically what John's doing, but as a, as a broader topic, what I want to talk about is something that I've, I've been passionate about a bit is, um, as listeners know, I do a lot of charity stuff within strength sports. And, you know, so we're going to talk about how and why there's, you see tons of endurance-based charity and nonprofit stuff. Uh, you know, everything's a 5K this, 10K that. 
um, walkathon, whatever, but you don't see much on the end of strength sports as far as, as larger charity events go. So I want to get into that and, and get in what John's doing. John, let's start off and talk about, you know, what, what have you started and how did it get started? Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, the organization I started is called Lift for Life. Um, its main goal is to grow the sport of powerlifting in uh, third world countries through, first of all, educating them on the sport and uh, creating coaches, equipping them with the tools they need, and then assisting in the community aspect of the growth of the sport. Um, and I got started with that after I returned from a trip to Zimbabwe this past summer. And when I was in Zimbabwe, uh, we were traveling around the city on the last day, and they have all these community centers that were built by the government, um, and they haven't been really used since like the 70s. And we went past one of these community centers, and um, at this building, there's uh, I heard the sound of weights. I'm sure we all know what the sound of weights is. Uh, our ears are attuned to it, but... And I walked past and I saw this like little weight room and it was probably the most grungy thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, that's kind of what got the ball rolling in my head uh, to be able to, you know, bring powerlifting to countries that don't have it. And then not only give them what they need to do the sport, but uh, teach them because that's the most important part. Right. So are we going to see like awesome, you see those awesome little videos of like people in Africa lifting on, it's like these glued together plates on wood <laughs> platforms and that'd be awesome. But <laughs> so you yeah. set them up with proper equipment and things like that. Are you dealing with then uh, equipment manufacturers and things like that as well? Well, uh, I thought about that at first, um, the international shipping costs. So say I was to ship something from Rome to Zimbabwe, yeah. that'd be astronomical. Mm -hmm. So instead what I did is I did the uh, metric conversions myself of, you know, wh whether it be like a typical squat rack or a half rack and then we got a local welder to build the racks and okay. the benches um, because to me that was better anyways rather than shipping stuff but having someone in country get the money made for building it. Right, clever, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. seeing as this is international, I mean, what are these teams, what, what's the ultimate goal of these teams? I mean, are you going to be a feeder? Are they going to feed into the IPF? I mean, that's kind of the biggest international thing going on right now. Are they going to end up starting their own? Yeah, so, federations for that national federations. Yeah, so the first step is obviously to get up and going, and whether it's Zimbabwe or another country, um, and then working with the governments themselves to create an association um, for the sport, kind of like we have, you know, different associations here in the U.S. Um, and then once we're recognized by the government itself, then we can potentially, after we're having meets and training athletes, apply to be a part of. You know, if the country wants to be a part of the IPF, that would be the direction we go. Yeah, right. Hey, John, I got a question for you. So, yep. what what's the uh, like what's the benefit to the? Is this this is young people or all age ranges? I missed that. I'm sorry. Right. So it'd be all age rate, all age ranges. Um, this summer, when I return back to the country, we are going to be doing a lot of clinics at high schools to kind of demonstrate the sport and make them aware of it. Um, but definitely I want to reach all, all age ranges. Okay. So, uh, so the goal, is it just, um, is it mostly just about building powerlifting? I mean, or is there a, a, a sort of a health interest? Like, I'm not sure what countries you're going into, but I would think in developing countries and stuff, there would be a lot, some health benefits. I mean, if these kids yeah. are, they're undernourished or underweight, yeah. uh, weight training could be something that could even preserve their muscle mass and make them healthier. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, I understand that. And um, in our actual um, or mission statement or goal, we you know we put in there a health aspect to it as well because at the community centers we're going to be using in Zimbabwe to build these facilities, there's lots of land around it too. And um, being a community center, uh, the people that live around it they use it for multiple purposes, and one of those is that it's a area of water access, and so building up the community center for a training facility, we're also going to be able to build up the area around it for whether it be, you know, planting new crops or stuff like that. Oh, wow. Nice. So there's a bigger benefit to Zimbabwe right now. May not be that way in every country that we go to, but in Zimbabwe, there's lots of things we can do with it, which is pretty awesome. Cool. So, I mean, how do you even get the ball rolling on this? I mean, take us to step one. How do you even go to like, how do you even address the, the Zimbabwe government about about this type of stuff? Right. I'm, I'm interested. The great thing about when I went there this past summer is I made a lot of great connections. Um, and, you know, being in the United States, I have to have those connections or else what I'm trying to do really isn't going to work. Um, and one of the people I met, his name is Ben Kowadza, and he runs a – it's called All Out Sports. It's kind of like a sports group that he does with youth for like – various sports, whether it be soccer or they do uh, tag rugby and just sports leagues like that. And he has lots of connections. And so actually this past weekend he met with um, the person in charge of WADA in Zimbabwe, which is pretty awesome. And then he also met a representative of the government. So when I visit this summer, we are actually going to be meeting with the government in Zimbabwe. And just through the connection he made this past week, they've already told us that they will give us duty-free shipping into the country, which is awesome, and that they fully support us to grow into all five provinces in Zimbabwe. So that's pretty sweet. So then, I mean, as far as the athletes go, I mean, since these are community centers, I mean, is it going to be a – like here, I mean, you join my powerlifting team, you're paying me to come in every month. Right. Is this going to be like a, a community thing for the kids funded by the government or where they can get, you know, some kind of activity, sport activity for free of charge or how does it work? Right. So right now, you know, obviously the big first step is that we have to just grow the presence of the sport because you're going from a country that has – they had powerlifting in like the 70s, but they haven't had it since um, to – you know, a population now that knows really nothing about the sport. So we're going to start out in these community centers just having areas for uh, people that are locally and want to come lift and learn the sport. And then we have uh, coaches that we're beginning to teach that can come and help these uh, lifters out at the community centers. And then we're going to try to branch into the high schools um, as an easy intro because the high schools, you know, obviously they already have people there that are capable of, helping them out as well as with us giving them the resources and teaching them about the sport can teach the high school athletes. And then from there, hopefully getting into some of the um, uh, pre-existing gyms there in Zimbabwe because uh, they do have a small bodybuilding scene. You know, that was one of my questions, actually. What is the athletics infrastructure like? Is there a lot of, you know, like you hear about a lot of runners coming out of different parts of Africa right. and that sort right. of thing. And I'm just making broad generalizations because I'm ignorant about which country, you know, is right. built yeah. up. But what's the athletics infrastructure like? Do you have something to build with uh, on the endurance side or the team sport side, soccer, anything yeah, they, like they, that? They love soccer, first of all. Um, I visited the country and they asked me to play a game of soccer with them. And let's just say I, I whiffed on the first ball that came my way <laughs> and everybody laughing at me, which was fine. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, they love sports. They love soccer. Um, Rugby is growing up to be really big there. And we're going to try to tap into that side of it, too, because maybe we can get some uh, rugby players that want to, you know, grow physically in the strength conditioning side. And then, you know, potentially they may also powerlift, um, trying to just tap into different avenues in the country itself. Um, they have bodybuilding. It's not very big. Um, and then when I was there, I saw a sign for Strongman. Um, it was just like a oh. little sign. So they might have a little bit of that as well, but just really no powerlifting. So we can pull from different areas to, to create the interest, but it's great to be able to start up from the ground with a sport that they don't have much connection with right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and I could see how the high school thing would be huge. If you get them on the scene, then they can compete against one another. And, right. You know, you know, it gives them another outlet at the school level, which I wish, honestly, I wish we had here more. Right. Um, yeah. But uh, how is, like, I know I lived in Thailand for a while, and, like, social media there would be much like it is here. Like, it's a third world country, but everybody had a freaking cell phone. Right. Um, it, what is the, I mean, I could see social media potentially being huge if it's available. I mean, is it, right. is the, that something you're dealing with too? Yeah. I mean, the biggest problem in Zimbabwe is, you know, it doesn't look like it's a third world country when you visit it, but it's because they had such a huge economic downturn after 2008, um, just like we had here. Um, so it's like 70% of the countries in like poverty or unemployed. Um, so, you know, they have gyms, but no one can afford them. And so this is a way that using the community centers that we can offer a different aspect to that. Um, social media, they have it. Almost everyone communicates using the WhatsApp app. Um, I don't know if you've seen it or not. That's how I communicate with them right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing is they have, especially in some of the cities, they have rotating electricity. So you don't know if you're not going to have electricity at night, which means you don't always have internet 24-7 either either so it's it's expensive if you have it yeah. and so most of the time if they're using it it's when they've gone to like a shop and they're getting wi-fi gotcha that's interesting um so i mean what is the i can my mind gets racing here and i can see like greater goals for this i mean if you get more of these small countries involved and you get them involved right right i'm seeing my mind automatically turns towards like an olympic sport again right which I'd love to see powerlifting in an Olympic sport. And, uh, you know, is that one of the outlets for this? I mean, potentially, hey, we get 20 more countries involved. Now we have a bigger voice as far as maybe becoming a sport. Yeah, you know, know, honestly, I uh, had no – like I didn't think about that aspect of it when I first got – did I lose you guys? I don't know. No, no. My my computer went to sleep. Um, But when I first got involved with this and – you know, got it up and running. I didn't think about that aspect of it at all. Uh, but you're you're the second person that's asked me about it. So I guess that would be a very, you know, it would be a huge, huge thing because that is one of the things the Olympic Committee keeps telling the IPF as they apply that it's just not in enough countries. Yes. Um, so this could potentially be that bridge to fix that issue. And then, so back to, my other, back to my other question. So, I mean, I... This then is going to be potentially like duty free for anybody that wants to do it. Then I mean, it's a service you're just allowing these people to have. Is that yeah, right now I mean that's you know that's how it's going right now. Okay. Uh, when you create powerlifting meets, obviously there has to be some form of fee if it's going to be drug tested. That way, it can you know the meet director can pay for the drug test through uh-huh. um, the meet fees. Obviously, we'd want 
as we begin to host meets in Zimbabwe, we'd want that fee to be as low as possible so that people can do it, yeah. knowing that you know seventy percent of the population doesn't have a job. Yeah. Um, but I just asked Ben the other day of what the water drug test fee is, and in the United States, it's about seventy-five dollars. In Zimbabwe, it's about one hundred and twenty-five dollars because they have to ship it out of country to actually get it tested. Yeah. So that's a barrier. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. So I mean, where then is? There has to, I mean, things have to be built, things have to be bought. Where does funding come from? Right. Um, for us, most of it so far has been donations. Okay. Um, we're trying other outlets like, you know, creating shirts, Live for Life shirts, and having those made to sell. Um, I'm also looking towards uh, doing gym partnerships where, you know, we can send gyms posters to put up, put up in their gyms to further our outreach. And then if gyms want to donate, they can do that as well. Um, and then the biggest thing we've had so far, you know, if we had to put a dollar sign on it was we had about a $5,000 donation from challenge barbell because they are shipping to Zimbabwe, 285 kilograms worth of weight and two bars. Um, and you know, in the, in U S money, that'd be about $5,000. So Mm. that's a huge donation for us. And they want to continue working with us and helping us no matter what country we go into, which is pretty awesome. Nice. Interesting. Cool. Are there other targets? I mean, what what's is what would be the next country? Maybe do you have that? Are you thinking that far ahead? Or you got your hands full of what you're doing? Yeah. You know, I I am thinking that far ahead mainly because um, even though our outreach isn't necessarily like really big yet, uh, I've had a lot of people already contact me. Um, someone contacted me about you know Turkey and Istanbul. They said they have powerlifting there, but it's None of it is on the drug tested side, so I'd have to really look into that. I had somebody contact me about Colombia, so that would be interesting as well. Um, but really, right now, my my goal is to be successful in Zimbabwe because if Live for Life is successful in Zimbabwe, that means you know great things for us to continue to grow and to reach out to other countries. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because um, I'm sure you know Phil and Lonnie, you've seen like these pictures online i mean they're they're floating around and so they're, they're definitely um they're not they're not memes but they're basically pictures of people in um you know third world world countries that actually lift that don't have access to gyms they just actually built they're built or build their own stuff from like a bunch of scraps yeah um you know and i'm just like you know if they can do it then then anybody can do it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i mean you know, the strength's there. These people, they work really hard if they have a job. Most of them are in some form of production or labor. And, you know, you see them carrying around massive amounts of weight just on their back. So it's just, you know, converting that, you know, applicable strength that they have for their job into potentially what can be a hobby and then a sport for someone there. Yeah, and I, I mean, the only disconnect I see right now, like, I mean, it would be, it's an easier sell in my mind to go and bring in Olympic weightlifting or another sure. Olympic sport because you have that promise of, look, your kid could go to the Olympics. Right. And we don't have that yet as far as powerlifting. Right. And it's so it's so <laughs> disjuncted right now with so many federations and things like that. Um, that's kind of a barrier to cross. But uh, it's a sell to some of these parents or whatever because I imagine you're going to be dealing with parents. I mean, if you're talking Olympic sport, then you're talking about kids that are now like five years old. Right. You know? So um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But yeah, no, I understand your your outtake. I think a lot of people mess up when they do something like this and they, they think global on day one. 
Yep. And then they never get one successful one set up. If you get one successful one set up, now you've got a trunk that you can branch from. Um, but I mean, so is, are you looking for a lot of government backing then? I mean, I could see that probably has as a big form of funding. Yeah, I mean, potentially that's the goal. Um, the big thing is this summer meeting with them to set up the association for a federation in Zimbabwe. Yeah. Once that's done, we can look into logistics of, you know, like prices for meats to cover costs. Yeah. Um, we can look into what the government wants to give us. Um, <clears throat> just in the brief meeting Ben had last week with the representative from the government, uh, he told us that once we're up and running, have a team that can compete at the international level, that they would support that. Um, and help fund it, which is an awesome thing. But, you know, that's something that's, you know, a couple years down the road. Yeah. So, John, what's the – what's sort of the enticement for the young people, for example? Is it just sort of the traditional, you know, joy of getting big and strong? Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, as far as – like Phil mentioned parents, and it made me think about that right. too. Like if soccer's so big, that's right. got built in. That's just kind of in the culture. Maybe that's what you do. Um What's the, what's the draw? Uh, you know what I mean? Are, do you have people over there that are drumming up the excitement? H- how is that, that kind of marketing aspect working? Yeah, you know, we are going to do that this summer with visiting all of the schools. Um, and then in 2017, we hope to have our first meet. We, we're planning on drumming up some excitement by bringing some, you know, world-class lifters to uh, potentially come and do an exhibition oh. as well. Like I've talked to Ray Williams um, and he potentially would love to come and do that, and that'd be pretty sweet for them to see. Great idea, um, yeah. Um, but you know, the big thing is kind of like how powerlifting functions at the high school level right now in the United States in terms of being something that assists other sports. You know, I would love to take that route in Zimbabwe when we enter these high schools, and you know, you have people that are preparing for a rugby season. You know, powerlifting can be a way for them to get in better condition and better shape for rugby. Um, so that can be the draw that first gets them into it. And then we can see how it goes from there. If, you know, yeah, if they continue to do it. I can see that as your easy selling because I've got kids here in all sports, baseball, right. soccer, wrestling, and that's what we use it for. You right. Know, they compete on my powerlifting team, but their sport is this and it's, we use it to advance that. And right. so, I mean, as we all know, you know, generally a stronger athlete wins if everything else is kept in, in if everything else is equal. You know, if I have a soccer player that's twice as strong as the other soccer player, uh, usually the stronger one's going to do better as long as skill and everything else is in the same same line with each other. Yeah, so. yeah. Right. And, you know, they're not doing a lot of that for the other sports right now, and that's kind of the gap we can go into and fill. Yeah. Uh, you know, for them it's, you know, just their athletic, athletic abilities with no – strength and conditioning side to it at all. You know, that's interesting, too, because that's almost following the same evolution decades later that you kind of saw here. I mean, when I was a kid, you guys remember, like, you'd watch basketball. Some of the guys that were on the screen, they were waifs, you know. Now everyone is jacked. Strength conditioning is part of every sport, men, women, every sport. You know what I mean? It almost sounds like a similar evolution going on now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could take the same route as like boxing did and things like that as far as the community with kids, especially in a country that's, you know, 70% of the people are unemployed. I'm sure, you know, just as a default, crime is rising and things like that. It's like, well, we can get your kid off the street. At least he's in here doing something constructive type of thing, too. 
And, right. and that's the great thing with using these community centers. It'll be right near them. Yeah. Um, and, and especially in Harare, which is the capital, and it's like 1.5 million people. Yeah. Um, we have access to 40 community centers. So we could potentially go into all of those and, you know, kind of cover the entire city with this ability to go into train and to power lift, which would be pretty awesome. So training coaches, how are you going about this? I mean, how are you taking somebody from Zimbabwe that knows nothing about it and what do they have to do to then become a coach? Right. So when I visited the country, um, I met a guy named Joel. Uh, he's since become a very good friend of mine. And Joel had an interest in, you know, just lifting himself. Like he'd gone in and, you know, like anybody that doesn't know a lot, they just bench press. <laughs> so that's all he was doing in the gym. And I talked to him about lifting and about how he'd like to be a part of this. And since that time, what we've done so far is we've set him up with um, the RTS classrooms, the reactive training systems. And Mike Deshear has given him the opportunity to take his classroom uh, classes for free, per se. Um, so we're working that avenue in terms of making him more intelligent with the sport. Um, and then we also have a lot of other partners that are going to be providing him with resources that he needs to be successful. And then this summer, I'm going to go and host some clinics and seminars with him to teach him as well. And then, so let's define powerlifting in Zimbabwe. How are we talking... You know, what are these meets going to be? Raw, single ply, blah, blah, blah. Right. I mean, you know, for me, I've had the great opportunity to compete in both uh, single ply and raw. You know, the first half of my 13 years of competing now were all single ply because that's all that used to exist for me. Um, in Zimbabwe, for sure, on the, you know, getting started, it's going to have to be raw yeah. just because of the price. Um, I think that's one of the barriers when you talked about it might be easier to grow Olympic lifting. It's because, you know, all you need for that is, you know, potentially bar and plates yep. for powerlifting. You need all these different apparatuses and to add gear to that as well in terms of single ply. Uh, it's just more money. So potentially down the road, you could do single ply, I would say, um, because I'm a fan of both. I see the different skills that go into each. Um, but right now on the onset, it's just going to have to be raw. Yeah. No. And I mean, I think you're seeing a big, the world is heading that way. Right. I, I think we could get into an argument about if it's an Olympic sport, but I mean, we've talked about it on here before. I mean, I, I honestly think if it's going to be an Olympic sport, it'll have to be raw. Yeah. Because there's so many different manufacturers and this and that. And let's be honest. I mean, a single ply suit now is much different than a single ply suit in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that would be a drawback as far as becoming an Olympic sport, which I think, I mean, honestly, when you talk to me about this, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. The potential for that. Um, and, and taking these smaller countries, especially, I mean, you have a lot of these smaller countries that are, they're not competitive in the team sports or the bigger track and field and this and that. But I've seen people from all walks of life and all athletic ability. I mean, we've had, we had Mike, uh, freaking, I can't believe I messed his name up, um, Ed Cohn on the show. Yeah. And, you know, he'll tell you he was athletically ungifted the opposite of gifted you know he said i couldn't dribble a basketball but unilaterally i could get very strong and you could take these kids that have no other real outlet and and look you can do this you know anybody that can pick something up and put it down if they put their mind to it and they get the right training and are smart enough about it you could be well you could do good at this sport right that's that's honestly where my passion comes from powerlifting being a high school teacher too um, you know, powerlifting is an outlet for the kids who don't really have anything else. Yes. 
Um, and, and that's really where I fell in love with the sport. You know, I played football, I ran track, but, you know, I love powerlifting. And a lot of my friends were, you know, from the band. Uh, not that band people can't be athletically inclined, but, you know, they're some of the strongest people on our powerlifting team. And you just yeah. get individuals from all aspects of life that can powerlift. Yeah. I think that's the greatest bit of it to the sport. And I think that's why a community always grows up around it so much yeah. because it's, you know, you do compete against people, but at the end of the day, you're just competing against yourself. Yeah. 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 Hey, I have a quick question for you then, uh, John. Uh, this is a little tangential, but so you're talking about getting donors to help in that sort of thing. Uh, I've been to s some international nutrition conferences, right? And usually they have support for developing countries and that sort of thing, like, you know, extra scholarships and this and that. But there's right. a lot of food companies and even supplement companies that I could think would be a advantageous ally in this sort of thing. Like if they could supply protein or vitamins right. or something uh, like uh -huh. that, you know, have you given that any thought? Yeah, I, you know, I've given it a lot of thought. Um, kind of like what you said earlier, it's just been my mind's been having to wrap itself around everything that's going on. But um, yeah, that's certainly something I'd love to get into. It's something that, you know, talking to you now, that's building a connection that it could potentially help me out. But I don't have any connections on that aspect of it. Um, certainly I can contact those people um, given names, but that would be something that would be pretty awesome as well. I would think it would have marketing value uh, for them as well as you. You know what I mean? That they're doing something that's, yeah, sort of an honorable thing. And right. I can tell you in a lot of developing countries, uh, micronutrition, you know, certain vitamin deficiencies, and, um, and frankly, just protein. Protein is expensive, you know, yeah, and, if, and if it was introduced as part of a, a training program or somehow made available at low or no cost – that would right. just be huge because it's it's always, yeah. oftentimes the protein malnutrition that you see in a lot of developing countries. You know, they have yeah, carbohydrates, sure. yeah, but yeah, the protein stuff. Um, I don't know. I just think that could be sort of a, a huge thing, and then that you could draw in some very big food companies. I'm not just talking about sports nutrition, fly by night, protein <clears throat> powder purveyors. You know, but so, there's some right. very big uh, multinational food companies that they're always looking for ways to try to support something and this just it, it's almost like one of those it's like it's a reason to to get your protein powder not just here's some protein in yeah or you yeah. know we're going to sneak a vitamin into your butter into the food supply so the kids don't get deficient but it's a purposeful intentional uh marriage i guess yeah, right, you know right yeah anyway. no that'd be awesome um i actually when i visited the country that's one of the things i was paying attention to is like you know where are people getting their protein from because you know, someone that gets in a lot of protein every day. And they told me that most protein comes from peanuts. Um, they add peanuts or peanut butter to almost everything. Yeah. Um, so that's their main source. Unless they can afford meat. If they can afford meat, that's fine. Um, your, your middle class is small, very small there, and they can afford meat for the most part. But a lot of people get it from peanut butter, especially when you go out to the uh, kind of like the more farming area of Zimbabwe. You see a lot of people there always, you know, cooking peanuts to make peanut butter. And they literally add it to their vegetables that they cook. They add it to the meat, everything. I had a dish once that was uh, beef and like peanut butter put together and it was fantastic. Uh, but mm. it's just that aspect of they put it in everything they eat. Yeah, and you know, protein. I mean, peanut protein is not an ideal source, you know, right. for muscle building. But yeah, I mean, it's better than nothing. 
But right. th- that's exactly what I'm talking about, right? So quality sources of protein. It, it could be an avenue that even the nutritionists could really jump on. You know, right? And I mean, it, it's something too. Maybe getting a nutritionist on board, they could look at what's available in the country too, and identify what would be the best sources of protein from what they have access to. Yeah, that's um, always that, the challenge. That way, it's some, that way, it's something long term that they have access to as well. Right. I mean, I've even given it some thought to, you know, with all of the research on leucine and that, a, a lot of proteins, they're incomplete, you know. Um, and so if you could even just boost them with a little bit of extra of the missing amino acid, you know, or a little extra leucine, I've always been fascinated with that idea because some of the protein is on site, kind of like what you did with the equipment, you know, right. but you're just, you're making it more complete, more biologically beneficial by just saying, add this to it. You know yeah, what I mean? To yeah. create a um, complete protein like that. But anyway, yeah. I, I guess I'm just – my mind is now – now you got me going on this, you know, because there's so many benefits because <laughs> it's a blank slate, you know, yeah. to work with really. Anyway. Well, I think that's good. <clears throat> um, where can people cool. check out anything online? Right. So we have a Facebook page. Um, it's Live for Life Worldwide. Um, we have a website. It's liveforlife-worldwide.org. Um, and then we have an Instagram account that's also Lift for Life underscore worldwide. So any of those avenues you can reach reach us at um, and get in contact with us, uh, whether it's you want to become a partner, if you just want to donate, if you want to buy a shirt, it's on our website as well. Um, and we just love to communicate. We love to get involved with people and finding out how they potentially want to help us and then uh, you know, just growing our outreach. That's the biggest thing right now. Nice. Sounds Ooh. good. So everybody check that website out. If you have any questions, you can always drop me a line. I'll drop John a line if you can't get a hold of him. Um, yeah, so that's good. Awesome. I hope it works out for you. Thank you. Sure it will. Until next week, everybody. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations, protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, The stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening.
Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.